Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is the Lois J. Wetzel Show, and I'm your host and executive producer, Lois Wetzel, coming to you live this morning from Houston, Texas at 9 a.m. Central Daylight Time. I'd like to remind you to register for Blog Talk Radio. In fact, I'd like to ask you to do that so that you can be counted among the listeners. It's free, and if you do that, you can rate my show, mark it as a favorite, or get reminders of upcoming shows. My call-in number is 347-945-5309, and you can listen on your phone, you can call in using Skype, or you can just listen on your computer. I also want to remind you that I offer a free email newsletter about metaphysics and spirituality, the coming changes, all the kinds of things we talk about here on this show, and I've been sending this out free for 12 years. To sign up for that, you would go to Hot pinklotus.com and I don't share your email address with anyone. We've got an amazing show for you today, one of my very favorite guests, and that is Robert Wilkinson, who is a world-renowned astrologer. He's the author of the website AquariusPapers.com with an amazing, amazingly huge readership. And he is in New Mexico, and I'm going to call him right now. Dialing. Okie doke. Hello, Lois. Hi, Robert. It is so good to hear your voice. Oh, well, you know, we're all in this together, and I think that just given the way of modern existence we get so isolated from each other and we forget that we're really one vast interconnected life and that's why when we connect with our, our brothers and sisters of the heart it feels good it, it, it just we, we overcome the separation that that plagues modern humanity that is so eloquent as usual so well, well the, the good thing about the Internet is it links all of us throughout the world. We, oh, we can oh, all okay. show up now or later to be part of this, call it group thought form or group heart form or something like that. And, and that's what I love about the Internet is that it's much different than when I was younger where, you know, international phone calls were between two people and they cost like a buck a minute. Now we can tune in globally for free. Uh-huh. Thank God for Skype. Seriously. Well, you know, free such as it is, but at least yes, we're we're uh this is this is a great time for humanity. It, I just I I love it that you know, you're in Houston, you can call me here in New Mexico. We have people tuning in from everywhere from, you know, Amsterdam to Los Angeles and we can all be in the same uh time frame, call it a heart frame at the same time. And so, you know, that's that's the thing. I couldn't do what I do without the Internet and Skype and, you know, these innovations like PayPal, where 
where the whole world can literally come together and we can do whatever transactions we have to do and we can share information and knowledge. And, you know, I tape my sessions, I, I record my sessions uh, directly to my computer, convert to MP3 files and email them. It would totally bypassing the old, you know, go down to the post office and, and get the stamp and insure the package and fill out the customs forms and all that. It, the ability to transmit information right now is just, I love it, because it pulls us all together right here, right now. I'm on blog talk radio with you, and we are global. I love it. I know. I love it, too. I've got, I know I've got regular listeners. A lot of people don't sign up for it, so I don't know if they're listening, but I know I've got regular listeners in New Zealand, Japan, Australia, places like that, and as well as Europe. So it's real exciting for me when I find these things out. So are you, did you mention in your email to me that the grand irrationality is still messing with us? Yes. Um, what I've termed the grand irrationality is a phenomenon that has happened several times in history, and I'm not going to make this into a history lesson, but uh, it's I came upon this because Neptune and Pluto represent the outermost uh, spiritual transpersonal energies working, you might say, in the invisible world. Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto represent the invisible triad of spiritual creative preserving and transforming forces. That, that pervade our cosmos. It's not that the planets make anything happen, but they symbolize our inner and outer lights, you know, the dualities that we have to deal with. And Neptune and Pluto represent the collective consciousness and the collective trans, transpersonal transformative energies that, that create new seed forms upon, you know, even as the old forms die and pass away and get recycled in terms of the cosmic time. And these are the large-scale, uh, shall we say, atmospheres that, that are, pervade our planet from time to time. The last time we had Neptune in a septile, a seven-degree harmonic aspect of Pluto was in the 30s. And it was a time when it was extremely irrational, a lot of obsessive-compulsive stuff going on there, a lot of hard-edged transformational change that ultimately makes no sense from a, from a reasoning standpoint. You know, the whole rise of, of the totalitarian, hard-edged clashes. And, and then it subsided. And, and then we moved into this long period where Neptune and Pluto were in approximately 60 degrees apart, which we know is a sextal, which is a very productive, uh, harmonious type of energy. Well, now around the mid-90s, because of the anomalies in the orbits of Neptune and Pluto. Uh, Pluto came inside of Neptune's orbit, therefore Pluto was speeding up, Neptune was slowing down, which is not the usual nature of things in, in cosmic time. And it again created a septile aspect. Beginning, hello? Yes. Hello? Yes. Robert. Oh, okay, I thought, I'm, I'm sorry, I thought that we got cut off. No. Um what happened was that we have this uh, septile or irrational type of energy going on since 1995. It'll, we're already right really in the heart of the thick of it, which is why things are so crazy, and they really don't make any sense. And it's why 
the, the craziest solitary lunatics that would never have gotten the time of day before now. Somehow they are inflated into the global media almost instantly. And it's why we have a completely dysfunctional American government right now. It makes no sense why a government that, that takes in so much money and has so much power literally doesn't work. You know, it, it literally can't even pass basic legislation that serves the best interest of the United States. We, it's like a, a total frozen-in-place irrational gridlock where obsessions and compulsions and, and, you know, again, crazy people have, have and irrational people have seized the public microphone and are really putting out some very strange ideas and points of view that don't serve anything other than to boost the fear factor. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happened in the 30s. The fear factor was was just, it went right through the roof. Well, that's been going on now, and and the thing is, is the 30s were also marked by a lot of what we now call genocide. Well, the genocides really started in earnest right around the mid 90s when Neptune uh, and Pluto began to form septiles again, and we're in a long term global transformation. And the septile, they say it's a an aspect that produces, you know, destiny, if you want to call it that. But really, uh, as, as a great philosopher once said, character is destiny, and as you make your character, you make your destiny. Well, it's the same thing in the world. As we make our collective choices, we steer the ship of human destiny to the left, to the right, or straight ahead. And by what we do, by what we don't do, by the thought forms that, that humanity puts out there, by the thought forms that we all buy into, we create a collective destiny. And that means that things get set into motion as a result of those changes that may not make any sense, but we're kind of stuck with the results of those changes, whether we like it or not. And, I mean, the environmental crisis, the economic crisis, the really the governing crisis because there's so many failed states in the world today, and most of these so-called first world nations really have governments that aren't functioning. Uh, You might say they're just, for some reason, they're not ready for prime time, and yet they're in charge of everything from nuclear buttons to to the global uh, well-being in terms of the distribution of foods and goods. So we're again in the middle of this long-term, just call it meltdown, of the old system. Now, I personally, because of larger uh, astrological configurations and larger evolutionary, just from a spiritual standpoint, evolution of humanity and what we all collectively have come to know, regardless of the individual lunacy, humanity occasionally reinvents its idea of, of who it is, what nature is, and what it believes forms of God or truth to be. And and these great changes occur about every 2,000 years, along with the shift of the procession of the equinoxes where we, and we are on the cusp of changing from the last 2,000 year plus age of Pisces to the next 2,000 year plus age of Aquarius. And, And these are just the larger tides of evolution. And this is one of those times where we have this little sort of uh, 15 year or 14, 13 year blip in cosmic time 
where nothing makes any sense. Everything's real crazy. And by the time we come out on the other end of it, we're going to have a whole different way of regarding the time and space and matter and each other and things and goods and energy and light and, and vibration and magnetism and all these things that have been very mysterious to us the last four to 6,000 years. We will again remember and rediscover principles, uh, the larger uh, transformational possibilities involving uh, electricity and magnetism and consciousness and thought forms. We're just right at the beginning of it, Lois. And, you know, if we could live 200 more years, we would see a totally different humanity coming forth by inches. And I do believe we do have a cosmic leap to make in 2012. It's not the end of the world. That's just a Hollywood movie, and it doesn't happen that way. But there are occasionally points in time where uh, really interesting things happen, and it changes the world, like Franklin's experiments with electricity, Marconi's experiments with the radio, Sarnoff's experiments with television. These, these, you didn't see it immediately, but within 10, 20, 30, 40 years, the world changed. You know, when Admiral Grace for the U.S. Navy created the, this woman created the Internet, and, and yet it was strictly a military and educational thing until it all got turned loose, and now look at what we have. We have blog talk radio. <laughs> So the grand irrationality is upon us. It gets triggered seven times each month by the moon. It gets triggered 21 more times in bigger ways by when Mercury and Venus and the sun all uh, hit the seven points that activate this cosmic seven-pointed star, this, this set of beats in cosmic time. And then, of course, Mars triggers it seven times every two years. Uh, Jupiter triggers it seven times every 12 years, one of the biggest times that it, it really hit in a major way, for example, was in January of this year. It happened in the summer of 2009 and January of 2010 when Jupiter conjuncted Neptune. Septile Pluto, which has been sitting at the galactic center, for like three to four years, which is also, that happens every 250 years, where Pluto brings forth the seed forms of galactic consciousness, so that within the larger 2,000-year cycle, we have these points every 250 years, we get these eight giant beats when Pluto conjuncts the galactic center, and we get those powerful transformational seed forms from galactic consciousness. And then that gets translated by Neptune into collective consciousness. It gets translated by Uranus into individual awakenings. It can be mass awakenings or it can be awakenings of individuals who will impact the mass consciousness, whether it's a Mussolini or a Gandhi. You know, whether it's a John Lennon or a Thomas Jefferson, it doesn't matter. You know, when, when Uranus is triggered, then out of this galactic, cosmic, global collective consciousness, individuals come forth that embody the, the unique, discrete ideas around those higher uh, evolutionary messages 
that the earth and humanity is constantly being fed because we're all one together. We're one life. We don't, we're not separate from the solar systemic life. We're not, you know, we're not separate from the galactic life. We just are individual units of light within that galactic consciousness. And we bring forth our unique message and song to sing within our local field. And eventually, if we do that well enough, then we become more representatives of, of you know, global culture or, or global spiritual ideals rather than individual stuff. Sorry to keep going on, but it's a very big subject when you start talking about the, the um, grand irrationality because we're constantly getting triggered into making choices and changes that transform our lives and therefore the lives of others. And if we work on a national level, then the lives of all those who tune in. Yeah. No, I want you to go on and on. That's what you're here for is to share what you know that we don't. I'm, I'm well, I, I just, you know, I like the bounce. I like the visit. I like being able to look at your beautiful picture while I'm talking to you because, you know, I hear your voice, I see your picture, and it helps me connect. Yeah. with you who are, you know, a thousand miles away. So um, I guess I, we promised the people that we would talk about some other stuff as well, uh, and we're already a third of the way into the show. So the thing about astrology that I really want the listener to understand is that it's not separate from who we are, that those planets don't make us do anything but they the sun our sun shows our our principle of illumination how we find it and how we offer it to others uh principle of the moon is how we reflect on things and it's our up close and personal feelings and you know venus is our likes and mars is both what spurs us forward and as well as what hassles us jupiter represents how our imagination works how our outreaching uh inner understanding works toward higher, broader, wider things. Saturn shows our limitations and our ring past not. It, you know, on a lower level, it's our fears. On a higher level, it's our dharma or our, our truest functioning of our highest spiritual duty, if you want to call it that. It's like yoga means yoke. In, you know, yoga Sanskrit, it means yoke. And the yoke, it's not, it, it can be a chain. It can be something that enslaves us. But it can also be something that by willingly accepting those particular types of duties and responsibilities and limitations, we make Saturn our friend and we lessen our fear. We lessen our sense of bondage. We lessen our struggles with life because we fully embrace the, call it the duty and responsibility of being our higher self, the best we are able, given that we are also humans. And so astrology shows us our humanness, but it also shows our divine potential. And as we, because each of the planets has a duality, I call it function and dysfunction. And when our planets are dysfunctioning, right, we have ideas that are leading us to death rather than life. You know, when our, when our feelings aren't working out real well, they lead us to strife instead of peace. You know, when our light is functioning correctly, it leads us to fruitfulness. When it is not functioning correctly, it leads to barrenness. So if you don't, if your inner king or queen, as represented by the sun, is not functioning healthy because of some wound that hasn't been healed, 
then that's when our lives are barren in some way. And once we heal that inner wound and we claim our divine kingship or queenship, you know, our divine rulership, if you will, of our affairs, then our lives become fruitful. Not always in line with our desire nature, but that doesn't matter. You know, our lives are just a bunch of learned ideas and learned patterns and learned desires, some of which aren't healthy, but all of which can be transmuted according to our inclination and the timing of certain progressions and transits in our charts. They, they show us the timing on when we can come, you know, from the unreal to the real, from darkness to light, from strife to peace, from, from ignorance to, to awareness. And it's not like anybody's judging except maybe our ego mind. But as we play out our relationship to the transits, which show the events of our life, as well as the progressions, which show our natural inner unfoldment, when we get everything, you know, on the same page in our lives, then we really can function in a healthy manner rather than a crazy manner or in a disjointed manner. And it's where all of our material affairs and emotional affairs and psychological affairs all pull together to bring forth our best intention. And along the way, we run into hitches and glitches connected with the four primal emotions and the four sources of suffering that arise in the mind. And I talk about this a lot on my website, that by just simply applying the, the call it, rational spiritual tools we have at our disposal, we don't have to fall into confusion and fear and frustration and a lack of effectiveness. But we have to know what we need to apply and when we need to apply it so that we can antidote the powerlessness, the sense of victimization, and, and we can transmute that, that those feelings of frustration and suffering into an effective life. Then it doesn't matter whether we live 50 years or 30 years or 100 years. We're, we're doing our being, and we're doing it the best we're able, and we're not falling into the emotional and mental traps that, that create suffering. And then we can actually become part of what I've termed the corrective force of nature herself. And we become, you might say, the local antidote to the suffering that we encounter in the world. We don't have to feel bad, though sometimes we will feel bad because we're all part of one life and if somebody's feeling something, it should trigger some kind of a feeling recognition within us. Otherwise, we're just depressed or, or shut down. And so that's the thing, as we embrace this conscious, aware life, despite the harmonious sextals and trines, despite the, the frictional uh, squares that put the brakes on or the oppositions that challenge or counter us, once we learn how to maneuver all of these different things that are going on, and, and we're not islands, things do happen to us, and then we're either acting or reacting, appropriately or inappropriately. And so we can't avoid interacting with our world. So what we have to do is use those interactions to uh, make progress when it's natural and easy to make progress and then apply our realizations as skillfully as we can 
when we hit the roadblocks and, and when we hit the turning points at Eternity Boulevard, where, where we really know that we, we've now hit a, a T in the highway and we have to go left or we have to go right, but we can't go back and we can't go forward. You know, we have to choose. And, and that's what all of our spiritual practices and all of our learning is about, is, is so that when we hit those points of radical transformation, it doesn't matter if it makes any sense. It doesn't have to. What only matters is we learn how to surf that wave until we hit those transition points. And then we, as easily as possible, move into the best, highest way of being, whether the conditions are good or bad, whether they're easy or difficult, whether we're confronted with our own or another's lower self. The trick is not to become... uh should we say, frozen in place with bad feelings or a bad attitude. And that's what astrology helps us with. It shows us the actual timing. On it's kind of a road map. But it's and a weather report, you betcha. It'll tell you when the storms are coming. For example, one of the things I said we would talk about is the Venus and Mars dancing together. And they've yeah. been conjunct in Libra most of the last half of... August and early September, and now they're about to both dance into Scorpio. And usually Venus goes faster, so usually they would only be conjunct for maybe a couple of weeks and then Venus would move on, but right now Venus is about to go retrograde. And that's something that happens to all of the planets because of their relative orbital speed to the sun. And rather than get into astrophysics here, because I don't want to put everybody to sleep, I'll just say that a retrograde makes things seem to be going backward from the perspective of the viewer. And and these retrogrades, like we're in a Mercury retrograde and just coming out of it, Venus is about to go retrograde in early October. Well, Mercury retrograde happens three times a year, and it's time for reflection, review, rehearsals, research, returns, rethinking, or uh, picking up something that's been delayed in the past, or delaying something while something else happens so that then we can pick it up at the end of its retrograde period. And thank heaven, it's going direct here just in the next few dozen hours. So things will again begin to pick up speed a little bit. There won't be quite so many gear jams or misunderstandings because we're coming out of the Mercury retrograde. But with Venus, see, Venus and Mars together. In Libra, Venus is stronger because Venus rules Libra. Mars is in the sign opposite the one it rules. So there's more of the refining and, and ideal of, uh, qualities of Venus that comes forth. Now that they're both going into Mars, Mars is going to be stronger because Mars rules Scorpio, and Venus will be in the sign opposite the one it rules. So for a long time, you know, at least for several weeks now, Venus and Mars have been together. They've been conjunct in a certain area in our life, and this is a place where we've gotten a lot of concentrated learning around Venus and Mars things, meaning our likes, our dislikes, resources, vanities, desires, how we capture what we want. Uh, It's taught us all lessons about our personal magnetism and by what we could attract and what we could not attract and what we were repelling, whether we wanted to or not. 
And so we've been learning a lot of this over about the last, we'll say, three to four weeks. And now that energy is changing from Libra to Scorpio. So instead of examining things from more of an ideal standpoint, now we're going to look at it more from a deeply intense magnetic standpoint, that we will begin to examine either what we have to eliminate in order to achieve our ideal or what we have to magnetize differently in order to get our ideal. Uh, Scorpio is a sign that usually delves deep into mystery, you know, whereas Libra is more concerned about the form. Scorpio is more concerned about the energetics behind and underneath the form. And so we've all been striving toward a new ideal, a new archetype that we were introduced to late 2009, early 2010, when Saturn went into Libra. And we all began to sense a new archetype, a new role, a new duty, a new way of doing our being. And then Saturn went back into Virgo, and we had to finish up our lessons around discrimination and significant form and and what kind of adjustments had to be made to fulfill the ideal. And that was April, May, June, July. And then late July, Saturn re-entered Libra, and it was conjuncted by Mars at one degree of Libra the last day of July. And that set into motion an entirely new archetypal function in every single person's life, whether they know it or not. And we've all begun to develop, shall we say, perspectives, rhythms of behaving, Uh, different ways of being really since July that's the very first expression of this, this new individual way of doing our being. And this is in development right now. It's like the very first steps in, in making real our new function. And, and all of this has been developing since like last October, November. And so we're all developing something, whether we know it or not. And this is now the point where we will begin to anchor the vision in an energy form. The thing is, is that as Venus and Mars progress through Scorpio, Venus slows down and goes retrograde in early October and then slips back into Libra in November and then goes direct and then re-enters Scorpio late November, early December. Well, Venus is our likes. Venus is our values. It's, it's how we view what is valuable and what is beautiful. And as it goes retrograde, we will review some things that we've been valuing, that we've been trying to capture, that we've thought were beautiful or pleasing or of worth to us, or it could be our vanities, for example. Many will take an inward turn and look back at their Venus-related things in the area of life where Scorpio falls in the chart. And because of where Venus goes, we're going to see October and November, the most critical factor coming up is going to be building the lines of communication and using them wisely. 
it's going to be a time where we can all learn a technique of communication so that we can either draw nearer to something, we could experience it perhaps more deeply, more profoundly as an energy rather than as a form. So really October and November are going to be going deeper into our personal energetics and everybody else is going to be too. So realize that there's going to be a whole lot of of magnetic vibes in the air, but there's going to be probably not uh, sufficient understanding, and that's why we have to build those lines of communication. We will, for those who really strive, you know, who are really on a truth-seeking path, we're going to find a lot of inner connections, which link a lot of different parts of existence uh, parts of us with others, parts of our experience with other experiences, whether our own across time or with others. And I believe that what we're going to find, if we really go deep, is an ability to sort of understand the relationship even between widely separated uh, elements of experience. That I think we're also going to be able to understand how the higher and the lower relate uh, just in terms of magnetics and we will have to go deeper in terms of our ability to commune with energy commune with feelings and ideas commune with each other and that will lead to um, call it an individual specialization that we didn't feel connected to before so I have a feeling October, November is a lot about examining our attachments so that whatever it was we began to finish up last December, January, we began to finish things up on for the long haul so that the new emergent archetype could come forth. This December will help us it's sort of like the end of the end. If you could say this time, you know, last December was the beginning of the end. We could call this December the end of the end as the prelude for picking up whatever was that newness that began to actively work itself out when Jupiter and Uranus left Pisces and went into Aries in late May, early June. So it's almost like we saw the new ideal last winter, but then we had to do some finishing up in the spring so that then something new could be introduced in June, July, August. Now we're getting the structure of that newness, but because Jupiter and Uranus have both split back into Pisces, we're all going to be doing sort of one last look back at the absolutely broad-wide universal connections that we are with others, with life, it will be a time of endings. And I found, I wrote about this on my site because I have Jupiter and Pisces in my natal chart. It's a real poignant type of energy because it, it feels the vastness of the universal human experience complete with the sorrows as well as with that which links all beings to all other beings through all time and all experience. And we got an element of that between February and May. We will anchor that feeling connectedness. It's begun now. It'll get deeper as this month goes on. 
it'll become extraordinarily deep but from a different angle of perception in October so that November we can really see that we are surrounded by visible and invisible helpers as a fish is by the ocean. That by the time that the next few weeks are over, we're all going to feel a lot deeper and more connected, more attached to certain things and more unattached to other things. And, of course, how this works out in your individual chart is how it will respond to in your life. I mean, it's a generic energy, but we'll all respond in our own unique way. And I think that what will happen is a, for some of us, is a deepening, penetrating competence that we'll be able to use in beginning in November in every part of our life affairs. So just, I, I would say anybody listening to this, be real clear about what's yours and what's not. You know, be real clear about where you could go and should go and where you should not go in terms of other people's lives, other people's affairs, even your own life and affairs. That There's just some stuff that you're better off not doing if it's not your thing and instead go deeper into what is your thing so that then you can clearly finish up clearly visualizing what the future could hold if you could name your most perfect vision, your most perfect experience. This is the season of time to do that. May, June was critical in that regard. Right now, September is bringing us new information about that ideal future, and we have to be ready to live it by January of 2011. And that's why I said, you know, this is really a strange transitional period right now, which is why I wanted to cover these different seemingly disjointed subjects, because we are dancing back and forth between really late 2009 and early 2011, this this little blip in cosmic time is perhaps the single most important point for individual choice and evolution with a real sense of the vaster field so that we can then become our better function as we move into the serious changes of 2011 and 2012 and 2013. So, the Robert, can Rash- I ask you a sure. question? Um, you were saying earlier about knowing what is yours and what is not. Isn't that about boundaries, knowing when to take on other people's stuff and when to really get focused about what is yours to do in the world and just let other people handle their own stuff? Is that what you're saying? Yes, only in the sense that it's very human that, A, misery loves company. You know, ignorance loves company. Suffering tends to want to share its its complaint. That, that's why the fourth trap of the mind is the mind suffering over its own suffering because it's hardwired into us. And by sharing how awful it is, we hope that by other people agreeing that somehow it will make us feel better, and really it doesn't. It helps us feel less alone, but it doesn't alleviate the suffering. Right now, it's more like a question of by knowing where you don't need to go, 
you're in a position not only not to participate in in call it goopy uh, lack of clear boundaries, lack of cl- clarity and understanding what is your duty and what isn't your duty, and and you're in a position to help bring clarity to the rest of the environment, and that's that's why this. But see, it's one thing to say. I can't go there. It's not my business. It's another thing to be able to communicate that effectively so that they understand you're not rejecting them as people, but you are rejecting your involvement in behaviors that run counter to your highest self. I think that that's where, if we can just figure out where we don't need to go... Yeah, it helps us get real clear about boundaries and duties and responsibilities and, and, you know, individuals taking care of business. But we also don't want to um, further the separateness that is the plague of humanity because we're not separate. We're never separate from anything for even an instant. And that's where I think it's important to know where you should go and where you shouldn't go relative to somebody else's business. But at the same time, you know, if it's appropriate, you you have to keep the lines of communication open so that they don't so that you're not furthering the separation between human beings. If they are in fact your loved ones or your coworkers or your family, if whoever your real family is, I'm not necessarily saying biological family because sometimes we have less in common with them than we do with our spiritual brothers and sisters who we may never have met and they may be thousands of miles away you know and that's where i think we're starting to to begin to awaken as a humanity to get beyond the tribal state because we have to get beyond believing that my tribe is better than your tribe and by my tribe hurting your tribe, that makes us stronger or better. And humanity's been functioning off of that probably for about 10,000 years. Because back in the previous age, when Atlantis was still above the surface, there was more of a connection between life than we in our modern world know. There were also more problems connected with another whole level of existence. And that's why that old way had to end so that humanity could be reborn as who we are now as opposed to who we were 10,000 years ago. You know, because, again, we're on the path of return. We're on the path of remembrance. We're on the path of discovery. And what we can do now are miracles and wonder compared to anything that our great-grandparents could have imagined. They they can't imagine laser beams and Internet and jet planes back, you know, in 1890. That was impossible to even imagine. And so we've made these huge leaps, just like their world of 1890 was unimaginable to the beings of 1790. They they could never, the, the people of 1790 could not have imagined things like the telephone, and the automobile, and gas lights, 
and things like that. It just they couldn't. And, and even the people of 1790 were so far advanced from the people of 1690. They because the Industrial Revolution set everything in motion. 1690, they didn't have the steam engine. <laughs> 1790, it was being used everywhere. So you see, we're we're we've gradually we're coming out of the low point of the previous dark age, which we can call Kali Yuga, well known to students of the Eastern wisdom. We're we're breaking free of the ignorance of the Kali Yuga. And we're moving into what in the Vedas, the holy books of India, are called the Dwapara Yuga, the era of electromagnetic remembrance where humanity again grows so far beyond its previous understanding of time, space, magnetism, electricity, life, form, thought. <laughs> we, we are growing just by leaps and bounds very quickly right now. And in the process of this transformation, there are going to be regressive, stubborn, intractable uh, energies that want to hold on to fear and ignorance as means of control. And that's what we're dealing with right now. That's why this is the separation on a larger level of, call it higher and lower humanity, of the people that are striving for the light, striving for the truth, however they see fit. And it doesn't matter if they're in the spiritual school of art, the spiritual school of science, or the spiritual school of philosophy. We're all in those schools. Those of us are really striving to bring forth the higher ideal of humanity using different means, coming to different ends, but still, music is evolving. Our understanding of sound and vibration and its relation to matter and thought is evolving. Our science is evolving. Again, I mean, we have laser beams now that can bring eyesight to the blind. We have ability to create chemical constructs that can end hunger as we know it. And, in fact, it's being applied right now all over the third world. Real basic stuff that we didn't even know 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Now people have figured out, oh, you combine this with this and you make it into this paste and the kids love it and they get their nutrition. You know, so we're really evolving very quickly, just like our entire notion of God is evolving. It's very, relatively speaking, there aren't that many that think God is some kind of a person with a beard sitting on a cloud dispensing either benign benevolence or, or thunderbolts. I mean, we really have come to understand that that life itself is a much vaster thing than we've ever conceived of before now, and that we can find that which we call God or the force in all that is. And that's, that's a radically uh, different uh, thing than the religions of the world have preached over the last you know, 1,300 to 2,000 to 4,000 years. I mean, religions are just humanity's way of trying to, you know, get a consistent form to whatever it is they call a divine teaching. And right now we're coming to the point where we're realizing divine teaching is anywhere we, we look for it. That it's not confined to a, a Friday or a Saturday or a Sunday in our local place of worship. That we can find God everywhere. And, and in that reverence, for life itself, we will restore the earth, we will restore our relationship to each other, and there will be ultimately war no more. But we 
have to, you know, just this is going to take some patience with the regressive elements because matter doesn't yield to transforming very easily. It's very dense. We have a lot of density going on in the world right now with a lot of pollution and, you know, nuclear activity and, and people hypnotized by this thing that we call money. And we believe we have to put money into war and into building the machines of war. And this is all over the world. It drives the global economy. We believe we have to pump this dinosaur goo that we call oil and, and transform it into something that we burn very inefficiently and wind up polluting the air and the water and the earth. And, you know, so a lot of what humanity's come to as a result of the industrial age is call it the despoiling of the earth and its resources, including human resources. And those of us that are striving to just outlive and outlast this, this strange spell that's, of destruction that's come upon the earth and its creatures, this, this grand irrationality that's leading some really crazy people to do some really crazy things that don't benefit anybody. And, and yet, at the same time, there's a lot of good that's being developed. There, and, and each of us, even though we may not have a tremendous amount of power on a global level, we have all the power on an individual level to say yes to some things and no to some things. And even if it doesn't make sense, it doesn't have to. It only matters because, you know, like when you're surfing, you don't know which way the wave is going to break sometimes. You just have to be in that moment, in the now, shifting your, your relative balance to left or right or forward or back so that you have a great ride, so that you don't get thrown by the wave. And that's what all of us alive right now are trying to do. We're trying to surf a 100-foot tsunami. And, and <laughs> yeah. you know, that, that could very well toss us. But at the same time, what a ride. we could do it. The, the job is to do it with a lot of love and, and, just, and for self and for, for others and for, for the world and, and to try to at least you know, have as good a time as you can have despite the violence and the suffering and the, the pervasive fear in the atmosphere. I mean, it's out there, and, and the drum beats really heavy around the world. People are trying to make a lot of money off of fear. And that's where if we can get beyond fear and, and find, really... And find a center of peace within ourselves. Yeah, and then radiate that out. Yes. Radiate that out the best way we can through blog talk radio and our prayers and our meditations and our, our interactions. Then we're making for light in the darkness. We're, we're making for truth in the face of falsehood. We, we are loving in the face of fear. And we are the corrective force of nature herself. Beautiful, beautiful. How about the Cancer solar eclipse? Can we talk about that? Well, that's the most recent solar eclipse. And as readers of my site, AquariusPapers.com, know, uh, eclipses shut things down so that other lights can come forth. And lunar eclipses last for months after they happen, uh, according to the length of the eclipse, solar eclipses last for years after the eclipse, depending on the length of the eclipse. And we had a whole bunch of solar eclipses in uh, Aquarius and Leo, and now they're in Cancer and Capricorn. And the recent Cancer solar eclipse actually will shut a lot of things down connected with feelings 
and daily life and family and our sense of what we need and how to go about fulfilling it. But we will also find that by whatever it is, in terms of family or feelings or habits or elements of our past, whatever it is that started to shut down in July are going to open up unique gifts that are perfect for our circumstances and circumstances that are perfect for our unique gifts in the last half of 2010, all of 2011, and all of 2012. So this last cancer solar eclipse, whatever it is that has been absolutely and radically shut down since July and what it seems to be continuing to get shut down, <laughs> whether we like it or not, it's actually open, uh, opening up some very unique circumstances for us to be able to be the power of our individual autonomous self doing our own thing in our own way unapologetically with a tremendous focus and power in the here and now to bring new things forth. And so whatever are the old ways that are being shut down probably are interfering with our ability to lead a festive life because the degree fell at 20 degrees of cancer. Uh, whatever's being shut down was not able to be integrated in our personalities. So figure, you know, like for example, if you're estranged from a family member or unable to do something with a family member like you used to, it's because really that that way of interacting, that energy, can't be integrated into our personality. And this is all about personality integration, so we can be festive in very naturally playing our part, doing our own thing, opening to new experiences that do feed us, that do nurture us, that are going to be increasingly a part of our individuated life beginning January of 2011. So if you have to say goodbye, you know, to whatever, if, whatever you have to say goodbye to in the last half of 2010, 2011, 2012, do it with as much compassion as you can, with as much forgiveness as you can, because let's face it, I mean, uh, it is, forgiveness is a cosmic tool we can use, and uh, my particular thing is I forgive you, fill in the blank, for not being the person I hoped you would be. Because then I take the responsibility for forgiving them for not being my expectation. And it frees the energy. It just frees the energy so that new energy, I'd say that you're, you're, you're uh, a more perfect expression of your natural energy, our natural energy, can come forth. You know, we have to open up our hand and let go of the pennies if we want the $100 bills to come in. We have to let go of the narrow view on life if we want a larger life to present itself. You know, that's why the dogmatic people have a very hard time learning because their minds are steel trapped and they're very closed. And, and it's best sometimes to open the window and, and open up the curtains and air out the bag of the, the perceptual mind. You know, it's just good just to, to clear it out and figure out a new way to think, a new way to feel, a new way to respond a new habit to embrace, um, a, a new way of not judging to come forth, a, a new way of connectedness to come forth. And that's, I think that that's where 
the sign of Scorpio really can help us to kind of, you know, uh, burn something up, take out the garbage, clean out the pipes, turn the compost heap of our life, and just eliminate what we don't need to hold on to for whatever reason. We just don't need to hold on to certain things anymore. And by cleaning them out and holding that empty space, just like a pregnant woman does, eventually, at, at the time of ripening, a new form of, of our essential energy will come forth if we just don't keep our closets of our minds and our lives cluttered with stuff that maybe it meant something once, but sometimes it's best just to, to clear it out so that new, more appropriate forms can come forth. And so I would say in this season coming, uh, just, you know, whoever's listening to this, let go, forgive, bless, create the lines of communication, see your connection to other people, and especially all beings through all time. A lot of what we suffer is just generic human stuff. We can't do much about it except try to go through it, understand it, have compassion for it, and then hopefully that will help us articulate that compassion when confronted with that type of generic human stuff in another people or in a circumstance. Well, yeah, Excellent. the hour's Thank gone you. fast. Yeah, we've got about two minutes left. I'm going to open up my line to Becky, my buddy, co-host, and so on, who sometimes has really smart questions. Hey, Becky. <laughs> hey, you might be gambling on a smart one today. Just <laughs> um, questions. Well, actually, um, I'd like to know where I can find out more about this grand irrationality. You said early on that you didn't want to give us a history lesson. Well, I'm kind of interested in finding out, like, the progressions and what historically has happened and how that well, relates. Well, there's, there's really not anything out there because, first of all, I created that term. And, um, I, there, I've been writing about the grand irrationality for uh, a number of years now on my site. Okay. But more in terms of, of when it's going to be triggered and who is most affected by it. So you can find out more about the phenomenon of the grand irrationality by going to my site, AquariusPapers.com, okay. and go into my, my site Google box and just type in grand irrationality and just start following the thread of breadcrumbs back through various things I've written about it. You know, and I have how to deal with it, I have what it is and what's creating it and when it's been triggered. And I've been meaning to write uh, the article about the historical recurrences for some time, but I just, I get caught up writing about Mercury retrograde and Venus retrograde and the new moons and the full moons. Yeah, and, huh? you know, there, there, there's always, because people want to know about the full moon more than, you know, maybe what happened in the 16th century or something. It's just... Yeah, well, what really struck me... About, um, I have got a friend 60 who, seconds left. Oh, then I'll that. just wrap it up. I'll, um, I'll visit your site and... Um, yeah, and just the, there's a good comment streams there. You can lay a comment in somewhere, and I try to answer them the best I can. And, and I definitely will take your suggestion and make that article a priority for the next couple of weeks. That would be awesome. Thank you. Sure. Thank you for being with us, Robert. As usual, you've given us a lot of food for thought, and um, I appreciate so much your sharing your time and wisdom and depth with us. 
Well, sure, Lois. It's great. It's great to be able to hang out with you and, and all of your fans and listeners. And, you know, we're all in this together. We, we are definitely all smarter and more capable and, and more aware together than we are separately. This is true. Thanks. Sure. See you the next time. Shahidu Jalal